You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. We'd like to welcome everyone to this episode of The Zeitgeist. The COVID-19 pandemic is challenging all aspects of modern society. Our public health systems are grappling with a disease that has spread faster than anything in a century. Our workplaces have lain still in many cases when the work could not be shifted to remote telecommuting, or as they say in German these days, home office. Our political leaders have had to devise plans under short deadlines and communicate them clearly to the public. And the economic response from governments has been enormous. Uh, we're really glad to have with us today uh, Jörg Kukies, who is the State Secretary in Germany's Ministry of Finance, to talk a bit about this economic response. And in the case of Germany, this has been a remarkable turnaround. In the span of just a few months, the government's response has gone from a national one, with a little bit of caution, I think it's fair to say, about how best to assist its European neighbors, to the uh, really remarkable uh, announcement at the end of May by Chancellor Merkel and French President Macron that they will support sweeping EU-wide action. The European Union has now announced plans for a 750 billion euro economic recovery plan. Uh, that would result in an increase by about 40% of Germany's payments into the EU budget, by some estimates. And of course, Germany takes on the presidency of the European Union uh, in just a few weeks. And so for the second half of this year, we'll play an even bigger role than, uh, than it otherwise would in these discussions. But I think we should keep in mind that the primary responses are still national. Germany's cabinet has just passed a comprehensive stimulus plan of, a, of 130 billion euros. And that amounts to about 4% of Germany's GDP. Some may see this as a departure for German economic policy, which has focused on balanced budgets and has even run a significant surplus in recent years. But others would argue that this is precisely what that frugality in good times was for. So I think we'll get into that today. The amount of support flowing into the economy through a combination of financial and fiscal programs is really uh, mind-boggling. Um, is it up to the task? And where will it leave us when the pandemic eb ebbs eventually? And we have to survey um, how our economies have been transformed. So joining us today um, uh, is Jörg Kukies. Uh, and with me also is uh, AICGS Senior Fellow Peter Rashish, who directs our geoeconomics program. So, so first, um, maybe just to get into uh, this, um, uh, Jörg Kukies, uh, can you say a word about the scope and, uh, and especially in comparative terms, um, how big this is compared to rescues that have happened in the past uh, at the national level? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, um, um, certainly the, the, current, uh, the current program that we're doing um, is, is uh, in some ways similar, but in others very different from the crisis response that we've had um, in the past. Um, <clears throat> relative to the uh, financial crisis response, the big similarity is a lot to prevent um, long-term unemployment from coming up. We have a quite efficient um, scheme called short labor um, scheme that was devised in 2008 um, and implemented in 2009, where essentially every employer can uh, put their, um, their employees 
um, into the, the so-called short work scheme where people leave work, um, at least temporarily, but continue through our social benefit system to, to um, receive <clears throat> um, about 60% of their, of their income. And um, the, the um, good thing about it is, first of all, it's flexibility, and the second is that it avoids um, um, a rupture of the relationship between um, companies and their employees because um, essentially once business picks up again, and that's exactly what we're seeing at the moment, um, uh, workers can be recalled within a matter of a few hours and they can go back to work, right? So in that sense, um, that's something that uh, has been used both <clears throat> in the past crisis and this crisis. What is different, um, and I think that's just due to the nature of the of the current situation, is that we're doing a lot more in terms of providing liquidity assistance to our corporate sector because obviously, um, given that revenues have gone to zero um, within a few days for quite a lot of companies um, or have been diminished quite severely within a short time span, of course, liquidity is the biggest uh, um, requirement of the corporate sector to prevent insolvencies. And that's where we've really um, <clears throat> um, devised new programs and set up completely new and very voluminous um, guarantee schemes for the government that is guaranteeing quite a lot of the bank lending uh, prong programs through our promotional bank, KFW. Thank you. Let, if I could mention three names uh, to you uh, to get started with a question. Um, one is uh, Robert Schumann, who was a farm, French foreign minister after World War II. The other is, another is Alexander Hamilton, who was the first U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. And the third one is the British economist, John Maynard Keynes. And here's why I, I throw these names out. Um, Schumann uh, came up with the idea for what became the European Coal and Steel Community, which really was the first step towards the current European Union we have today. And in his announcement of that project, he said that it would take some time for the EU to become united, but one day uh, there would eventually be what he called de facto solidarity. Well, I wanted to ask you whether what we've seen in the plan that your government and the French government put forward and what the European Union now as a whole is working on its recovery plan, whether uh, given the fact that this involves now the European Commission borrowing on the markets on behalf of all of the member states, would you say that the de facto solidarity that Schumann said would happen one day, now 70 years later, has been achieved? Well, I still think um, even if we agree on the recovery fund, there will still be a long way to go before we've really achieved uh, um, the form of integration that Schumann dreamed of. Um, uh, but it is a good step and a very significant step. So in that sense, I think it will um, it will result in bigger fiscal integration, it will re result in <clears throat> um, a stronger um, um, fiscal capacity for the European Union. Um, but at the same time, and that's the most important thing, it'll provide a very strong and forceful crisis response. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, all of the other big topics that we still need to complete um, in the European Union, namely banking union, capital markets union, and many of the other things, um, I mean, those will still be outstanding even if we pass the best recovery fund ever. So I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see the glasses half full, but uh, it's not entirely full yet. Right. Um, then let me turn to Alexander Hamilton. Um, 
the fact that Jeff and I are talking to you today from Washington has, in fact, to do with that in 1790, uh, Hamilton engineered a compromise with Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, uh, which, uh, in which they agreed that Washington, D what's now Washington, D.C., would be the capital of the new uh, United States. And at the same time, the United States would take over all of the debts that the 13 colonies had um, uh, generated during the Revolutionary War, a big step forward towards fiscal union for the United States. So my question is, do you think that what's happening now in Europe is something that it's fair to call the EU's own Hamiltonian moment? Um, I mean, the idea goes in that direction, although I would say we are thinking at the moment um, more about the aspect of, um, of uh, um, <clears throat> common, issuance, common issuance of debt, <clears throat> not necessarily about replacing or moving the existing debt to the union level. Um, I think uh, um, that those are two fundamentally different concepts. Um, but on the other side, we, of course, um, um, are also looking at the other aspect of, uh, of what uh, Hamilton um, started in the um, United States, namely <clears throat> moving tax capacity to the union level. And I think that's something that, uh, that needs to move forward in the European Union as well. So um, we, are, we are studying quite carefully what led to the evolution um, of, um, of, the, um, of the Union in the U.S. over many, many decades. By the way, what I, that's what I always find interesting, how long it took the U.S. to really become a true fiscal union. Um, um, and, but I think the, the key concept really at, that, we're, that we're looking at is whether we can um, strengthen the, the um, fiscal power um, and, uh, and force of the European Union to fight the current crisis. So I think that could at some point be seen in retrospect as, uh, as a very um, strong step towards stronger fiscal integration. But uh, of course, that will be for history to judge. Okay, so now uh, my third uh, historical figure, John Maynard Keynes. Um, very influential after World War II and the creation of the uh, Bretton Woods organizations, institutions, the fund, the World Bank, uh, and quite well known and uh, has generally, generally important in the economic debate in the United States. His name is not as associated with, the, with Germany's economic debate and Germany's economic thinking, but it seems if you look at the plan that your government and the French government put forward, as well as what the European Union is working on now, it does seem to be inspired by his insight that when, you know, the insight that governments have to step up with investments when demand is, is weak, and that in general, government activism in the economy is at least as important uh, as adhering to strict rules in order to have, in order to, to really assure prosperity. So my question would be, particularly in Germany, do you think that what we're seeing is uh, some kind of conversion to 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 the wisdom uh, of John Maynard Keynes? Yeah, I mean, it, what we're doing at the moment um, and what we've been doing over the past few years is, in a way, um, sort of a um, an attempt um, to to um, to um, engage in the type of uh, counter-cyclical fiscal policy that is often associated with uh, with Keynes' name, 
Um, we were heavily criticized over the past few years um, of, um, of balancing our budget continuously and creating fiscal space, which uh, is exactly what uh, what we're using right now. So in a way, it's, it's a bit of a textbook Keynes um, 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 type of attempt at policy because we uh, we um, expanded our um, deficit uh, after the 2008-9 crisis, um, then let it uh, at reasonably high levels um, during the eurozone crisis, and then um, <clears throat> and then um, let it decline quite forcefully from 2014 on with the famous uh, balanced budget. Um, and that uh, that held until uh, last year. And uh, in retrospect, because the years from uh, 15 to 19 were um, quite strong years, economically speaking, the fact that we that we sort of uh, were disciplined on um, on fiscal spending in those years um, ended up being a being a, a quite a good um, um, mechanism that enabled us to really act forcefully now and. We're now going into the mid-high 70s in our debt-to-GDP, um, starting from a level of 59 um, and a half uh, um, at the beginning of this year. Um, so it does show that uh, that we are deploying our fiscal capacity. But uh, that's nothing new, right? I mean, Germany has been um, quite uh, behaving in, in the way of um, of being pretty disciplined when times are good and then um, turning up the throttle of fiscal spending when things are bad. So in a way, we are we are trying to learn from uh, from the great Maynard, John Maynard Keynes. Well, and uh, and and I think uh, one of the other uh, aspects that uh, really struck me in looking at the German government's plans to uh, for the for the uh, stimulus is that of that 130 billion that the cabinet approved, uh, if I have the numbers right, about 50 billion euros. Uh, is devoted to climate change, digitalization, things that will sh- will shape the German economy of the future, uh, and and so I, I wonder if you could say a little bit about how that how that vision of the future transformation of the German economy, what it should look like yep. when the pandemic is over, yep. how that shaped the thinking that went into this. Yeah, and um, by the way, that's also not new. Um, we um, we implemented a 40 billion program um, to get rid of any kind of coal fuel usage um, um, by 2038. Um, um, we started that program two years ago. Um, we spent uh, or budgeted 43 billion at the end of last year for a very ambitious climate change program. Um, so the 50 billion is sort of uh, now the third um, the third measure that we're taking in that direction of uh, future investment. Um, so what I wanted to say is the 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 fact that we were balanced in our budget never meant that we didn't uh, engage in quite substantial public investment. In fact, since taking office um, in 2018, Olaf Scholz grew the public investment budget by eight percent per annum. Um, even in a balanced budget environment, right? So, in that sense, I think that's that's also evidence that this in, this investment into the future um, of uh, massively improving um, the the supply of computing and software to um, underprivileged um, schools is something where we spend um, a huge a huge number of billions of euros. Um, the climate change programs, um, the digitization programs, or blockchain strategy. Um, all of that is stuff that we've done um, or have started um, in the good times. Um, and so the 50 billion um, program right now 
um, which hopefully will make us uh, um, the global leader in green hydrogen. Um, you know, we somewhat lack the solar power because it doesn't, the sun doesn't shine sufficiently here for really uh, efficient usage of that. But uh, um, but we are trying what we can for for with offshore wind and other renewable energy um, sources to to become one of the leaders of the uh, green hydrogen market, for example, which is a nine billion program. Um, so we're trying to sort of combine a German engineering um, know-how with uh, public spending to to um, to make hydrogen possible in those industries where it would be uneconomical right now, sort of covering the startup investments and the scaling up investments, uh, because eventually we do think one of the biggest uh, biggest hopes that we have in terms of uh, controlling climate change, uh, hydrogen will be a huge component. So that's one of the many examples where we are trying to use this crisis to invest in the future. That's that, that's uh, that's fascinating. I, I want to just switch gears for one uh, second um, to a slightly different topic, but uh, help but ask. Uh, you know, today it's uh, June 16th as we speak. Um, it, over the last few days, there has been a lot of talk from, uh, including yesterday by President Trump, about withdrawing U.S. troops from Germany, and he very specifically complained about Germany's level of defense uh, spending as his justification for making that move. Um, there's, of course, among people who follow international security, there has been a lot of um, uh, speculation about how the pandemic and the stresses on uh, on fiscal policy may affect uh, defense spending. Uh, and uh, maybe early days, And uh, but, but I wanted to hear how you look at that and how you, uh, how the German government is looking at that. Do you think the pressures of a 130 billion uh, euro economic uh, emergency plan uh, are going to put pressures on other uh, 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 other budget items such as such as defense in the coming years. I mean, um, defense is not at all my area of expertise, so I will say very little on this, um, except for the fact that Germany has substantially increased uh, the, the defense budget um, over the past years, and also in this. Um, plan right now we have a uh, quite substantial front loading of some um, some defense projects uh, that will be accelerated through uh, through the program that we have so uh, we are contributing our share let me um, uh, ask a question that gets us to the United States and the the, the transatlantic relationship uh, compared to the global financial crisis in 2008 there has been much less um, transatlantic and global cooperation to find ways out of the crisis. Certainly that's in part because the current UNIS administration is, is inclined to use um, national tools. Um, but let's look ahead to next year to either a second administ Trump administration or to a Biden administration. Are there ways that the U.S. and Germany, the U.S. and the EU can work together uh, to promote recovery and perhaps transformation as we emerge from the crisis and uh, beyond the transatlantic domain? Uh, are there things they could also do in the G7 and the G20? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, um, um, again, not, not my core area of expertise, but I can give you a few examples in my core area of expertise that show that um, that on sort of a, a daily basis, we are working together extremely closely. Um, um, 
Topic number one is um, a huge number of uh, U.S. financial institutions are participating um, in our programs. So, for example, um, you know the the, the KFW programs, um, all lending banks that are active in Germany qualify, and uh, and we've had <clears throat> several very substantial um, 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 syndicated loans um, channeled through KFW to the corporate sector. Which were uh, which were um, uh, which uh, had um, participation by U.S. banks. Um, we are in extremely close contact uh, with the CFTC because at the moment we are implementing um, uh, new rules on uh, on, um, on global derivatives transactions, um, which are of course extremely important uh, for the financing um, of the real economy and for the functioning of global financial markets. Um, and uh, and we're on a very good path to establishing consensus with uh, with the U.S. on on um, how to um, um, how to um, um, implement um, equivalence regimes where um, basically um, the jurisdictions accept each other's rulings um, on this very complicated matter. So um, despite um, many of the things that uh, that, are, that the press write about and uh, which are uh, which are, of course, uh, a cause for concern. Um, I would say, on a daily basis, we work extremely well and extremely closely with uh, with the U.S. authorities in Treasury and the regulatory bodies. All right. Well, um, uh, your cookies. This has been a, a terrific discussion, which has gotten us into the details of Germany's national response, how it's uh, part of Germany's uh, economic transformation, uh, looking looking years into the future. Uh, what it means for solidarity within the European Union, uh, and also for the relationship with the United States. Uh, you know, you you have uh, many demands on your time, and we're really grateful that you've uh, taken a, a few minutes to share with us and with our listeners. And so we want to thank you. Uh, we want to wish you uh, good luck, uh, and uh, we look forward to keeping in touch. And we welcome all of our listeners back for the next episode of The Zeitgeist. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören!